Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the EGEOS podcast. My name is Rochelle Kernan, and today I have a very special guest. Her name is Crystal Hansley, and she is the founder and CEO of a Baltimore-based community solar project called We Solar. Hi, Crystal. How are you doing today? Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure to have you here. So thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know you're super, super busy. So to get started today, could you please share with our audience your career path and also your degrees, any goals or passions that you have? Yes. Um, well, like you stated, I'm Crystal Hansley, and I started a community solar firm um, in 2020, um, specifically on Juneteenth. Oh, cool. Um, Juneteenth is a historical day for African Americans, which really signaled um, freedom and emancipation mm-hmm. um, two years after um, the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it was really imperative for more minorities and women of color, um, people of color, um, to really have what's called energy democracy. And so I think that that's how it aligned mm-hmm. um, for me to really um, launch on that day. And Community Solar really embodies energy democracy in a sense that now folks have choice. They have choice for solar um, specifically underrepresented groups and populations that typically do not own their homes or households who just do not have the income to really afford traditional green technology and to benefit from the savings and the resiliency. Mm-hmm. And Community Solar allows 80% of households who did not have access to solar energy that benefit. Mm-hmm. And to really um, be a participant in this new vertical in the solar space, um, I have a different cultural lens and different ideas. And and starting your own endeavor, um, you I just wanted to have autonomy over that. And yeah. so hence we solar. Um, prior to that, I worked with another startup in the space. So altogether now, I have about five years in the solar field. Okay. Um, I spent a good decade as a public servant, um, majoring in political science um, and sociology um, from Howard University. Mm-hmm. And from there, I worked on Capitol Hill um, as a Senate and House of Representatives staffer. Um, And it was always my goal to really understand um, the science of behavior, um, social behavior and political mechanics and how the decision apparatus of the United States government worked. Sure. Um, And to really bring the message home and, you know, on both sides of the legislative like um, track as far as the policy and then also the district offices and the intimate, the, I would say the, how those policies actually impacted um, the everyday man and the average worker and the average homeowner. Um, And so I come from a a grassroots community um, oriented um, household. My grandmother 
um, was a very well-known um, community organizer from Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm a fifth generation uh, community organizer. Oh, that's so awesome. it's, you know, she founded the largest um, vegetable garden in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've always been an advocate for people. Um, as a child, I would advocate for, you know, the person that was getting bullied and, and push their bully out the way and, you know, even run and take on some of their issues and challenges. Um, I just didn't like people getting messed over. And yeah. as it relates to this space, um, you just see where your zip code um, and just the lower uh, income uh, spectrum have the highest impact of environmental disaster and calamities. And mm-hmm. to be a part of um, a space that now can focus some of those benefits in areas and neighborhoods and communities that um, just are still in survival mode and may not have had um, yeah. an outlet or anyone really have the cultural lens to uh, bring that message to them mm-hmm. um, and those opportunities. Um, whether it's savings or um, uh, just job opportunities, career opportunities, uh, that to me is environmental justice. And um, I'm, I've always been passionate about that. And that's, you know, what We Solar's mission is all about. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that all with us. It's it's such a pleasure to to listen to you speak and to hear your story. Could you share with us a bit about um, how the commercial uh, solar landscape has changed through time, maybe in your area and like what you see directly, but also if you have a perspective like more of a U.S. US wide or even like a global perspective? Yeah, um, I can really focus on um, just community solar um, specifically is growing um, rapidly. It's growing five times the rate of traditional solar. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the Department of Energy recently in December of last year um, stated that we are on track and have a goal to do about five gigawatts of community solar Mm-hmm. Um, in the next three years, by 2025. Okay. And that is a 700% increase. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, from where we are. Yeah. Um, and that's energy democracy, because yeah. again, for those who are unfamiliar with community solar, just to back up a little bit, um, you do not need to own a home. You do not need to buy a solar system or take out loans to finance Mm -hmm. the system or worry about updating your roof um, or any other capital upgrades that's associated with installing uh, solar. Yeah. Community solar allows households to virtually tap in to an offsite solar um, farm or system and receive those solar credits directly onto their utility bill. Okay. 
as if that solar system, that offsite solar system was on their roof the entire time. Sure. And, you know, this opportunity and for the most part is legislated by um, mostly states um, and each state has its own um, version of community solar. Um, I would say as far as like the landscape is concerned, um, it would be great in the next few years to really see more uniformity around um, policies and implementation and as well as structure. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as far as with each state doing its own thing, it's, it's pretty much, it's really hard um, to navigate um, because you just have to learn the rules in each state. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the language and the applications and everything is just different. Mm-hmm. Um, for better efficiency um, and for educational um, learning and, and the gap to really communicate this new um, opportunity to have a uniform uh, language, you have to have a uniform uh, system, okay. um, which will also help um, bring the message home um, to communities that's looking for opportunities and, and ways to save, right? Like we just passed the Inflation Reduction Act yeah. and community solar is in there because there's a lot of um, carve-outs in the community solar sector and the development space for low-income families and disadvantaged families. Um, but I, I, I think the future and, and how it looks to evolve you know, with us reaching the five gigawatt goal is to have more of a uniform uh, uh, industry Mm -hmm. um, where each state is operating similarly. So there's just not, as far as efficiency for processes um, and systems, it just, it saves everyone a lot of money as well as time. Yeah. And it makes the the communication and language a lot um, easier for um, the end user. Oh, that's that's awesome. Um, So when you were talking about um, going back just a little bit, do you think that it'll end up being cheaper for families uh, to have these community solar projects like supplementing their energy bills going forward? Or how is do you know anything about the cost or is it just really dependent like location to location? There are different models um, in community solar, which actually goes back to my previous message. You know, you have the vertically um, integrated model where the utility um, has its own version of community solar. And in that case, it could be um, slightly more expensive than base rate, um, which is the example in like Florida. Okay. Um, and, uh, you have other examples where it's the co-op model or, um, nonprofits, Mm -hmm. um, where, um, that model for the most part, the end user, um, definitely saves money, but there is a upfront charge because in a co-op model, they actually own the system. So the, the community are, are the actual owners. And so you have to have the capital to invest. Yeah. 
um, and develop. And so the process overall doesn't scale as quickly um, and you don't have experts that do this. So like there's just more um, issues in that case. And then you have like the typical like solar um, developer model, independent generator model. Um, and that makes up the bulk share of what we're seeing. There's about 22 states, um, with New Mexico being the latest, um, mm-hmm. to have, uh, community solar in a way where it's, you know, traditional solar companies are now, um, independent generators and they automatically guarantee savings. Yeah. Um, so for the most part, when someone signs up for community solar, they automatically save money in okay. these in these particular models, sure. which is majority of what community solar looks like. Cool. Oh, that's that's really good to hear, especially for families that might be on the lower income side of the spectrum. Yeah. So that that model is like, you know, in Massachusetts and New York, and obviously. Um, New Jersey, uh, D.C., of course, Maryland, um, and those markets, if you're um, able to sign up for a community solar project, Mm -hmm. you are guaranteed savings. Cool. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So you talked a little bit about why you chose um, a career doing community-based solar. How do you see this industry evolving going forward? I think, again, that with more uh, people becoming aware that this space within solar exists, um, the educational curve will be shortened and local governments and also state governments will also pour more resources into the space and incentivize um, local municipalities to really um put like more community solar farms and create more accessibility um i think education and awareness um will as far as like even like supply chain issues and just timing when you have the community Uh buy-in um that's what's going to really get more um, implementation. And then also you don't have to worry about people being skeptical and and not trusting because they're the ones that's inviting these projects in. They're the ones that's shaping the conversation. They already are knowledgeable and they're now demanding that, which right now that isn't the case. Um, it's not something that's commonly known. People don't typically know what it is or have heard about it. So they're skeptical. Um, like, how can you guarantee me savings? And like, where's this farm? Will it impact my bill? And so there's just a long learning curve right now. Yeah. And yeah. the future with, like I said, having a uniform message across the board um, and also procedures and policies in place that's um also parallel what will also help because now everyone is doing the same thing so when you go to teach um the messaging can also um be the same which can spread to more people Mm -hmm. um because you know you can automate that process a lot easier sure yeah no that sounds great 
Um, no, just shifting topics just a bit. Um, my co-host, who unfortunately couldn't be here today, Autumn, uh, we've been talking about morphing our podcast into featuring guests who are passionate about environmental justice. And mm-hmm. you're really the first person that we're going to be talking to about it. So as an intro to environmental justice, um, could you explain what that is exactly or how you see it or what it what it resonates for you? And then also the role of community solar with uh, environmental justice. Environmental justice is um, a social movement to address like the unfair exposure of poor and marginalized communities Mm -hmm. um, that pretty much harmed and associated with resources, extraction, food, hazard waste, um, and just other mistreatments of, like, land use. Yeah. Um, and just the unfair treatment of, like, these communities and the harm um, that's been done because of um, those environmental um, injustices. Yeah. And to really have a priority of policy, law, community, um all together to really right those wrongs Mm -hmm. um, and solutions that um, right those wrongs is is the justice part. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we solar um, really embodies environmental justice with an equity lens um, because we are leveraging green technology. We're leveraging the policies and and community, um, specifically in underrepresented neighborhoods and the same communities that have been exposed um, to uh, environmental harms and and terrible like air pollution and hazardous waste, by bringing that green technology to them and offering the economic resilience of community solar and neighborhoods that have suffered unfair treatment because of racism, mm-hmm. redlining, um, environmental justice, um, injustice. Um, and now you have, you know, we solar and these areas really teaching and um, being invited in by the community um, and, and owned by the community. We are a community owned um, solar company that to me is an example of environmental justice like when partners of other firms and uh whether they're law firms or institutions clients when they do business and buy we solar's power or finance our projects they're pouring into those those communities because of what we stand for they're uplifting uh and you know an organization that specifically is focused on um energy and environmental justice in neighborhoods that deal with uh the worst and and brunt end of um environmental harm yeah and we are in the we fall right into the intersection of all of that Uh um and just creating a path for more um communities of color and youth that didn't think that that path was something that they could um, do or achieve. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's 
you know, I'm obliged to to pay it forward for those who have paved the way for me. Yeah. Um, and pass on the baton to um, the young black, brown girls and, and women who are just not really represented in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, when they see We Solar, when they see me speak, they're like, wow, I didn't know there were women in solar. Like, yeah. what? I didn't know yeah. there was black people in, in green technology. I uh-huh. want to do that. Yeah. Um, that's environmental justice um, because now you have, um, you know, you're, you're inspiring it. At the same time, you're um, decarbonizing um, their footprint and and pretty much allowing them to participate, um, creating a way where they're able to participate, whereas those past um, weren't there before. So, yeah. yeah. Oh. There's a big misconception amongst youth and traditional people that are not familiar with green technology, mm-hmm. um, solar, that you have to have a STEM background. Yeah. You have to, you know, major in environmental studies or waste management. Yes. Traditional academia in those fields is engineered. We need that and more. Yeah. But I come from a social science background. I come from politics and um, community organizing. And I was able to um, create a lane and to participate in an industry. And so what I would like to say is that all areas and subjects and expertise and backgrounds are needed. So if you are someone who went the more trade route and you did not obtain a college degree, quote unquote, like, there's still a job for you mm-hmm. in these sectors and these in this space. They need the the you know the electricians. They need um, the folks, the the construction workers. They need the admin people. If you work in the office and your um, operations, like mm-hmm. they need you. They need finance, like analysts, um, uh, banking, like how you think the projects get financed Mm -hmm. um and um so yeah like every single industry and skill set applies to solar and the green space as well and so for those who may feel like they do not have a traditional stem background can Mm -hmm. apply and look to um these industries and they'll be enlightened and and see that they're hiring and they can apply those their skill set and their experience um to this emerging technology as you continue to grow i really hope that things just keep building and your impact goes far and wide (laughs) oh thank you yeah thank you so much yeah thank you for being here uh we really appreciate your time This podcast is sponsored by the Midwest Regional Carbon Initiative, which is a structured five-year program funded by the U.S. Department of Energy. It is co-led by Battelle and the Illinois State Geological Survey. The initiative works to connect science, technology, and research to advance CCUS acceptance and deployment in 20 states across the Midwest, Mid-Atlantic, and New England regions of the United States.